0: Thank you very much for tuning in to Going Deeper. Uh, This is Travis Ogle, and I hope we are excited to be able to offer a podcast during our Sizzle series to go deeper into the topics that we are discussing on the weekend, that we know are being discussed in small groups, and really being discussed all over our city. And we hope for you that this podcast allows you to hear some truth to gain some hope and gain some perspective into the topics that we're wrestling with. And today we have our lead pastor, Vance Pittman, is with us, and he's just going to dialogue a little bit about um, what happened this weekend and about the topic of the Bible. Is it relevant? So, Vance, coming out of the weekend, what were some of your thoughts? You know, we've been talking about this series for months, and a lot's been said, and our church voted on these topics. What was kind of your thoughts coming out of the weekend?
1: Coming out of the weekend, Travis, I was extremely excited about the way that the series kicked off. Um, You know, in a series like this, we can do all the preparation and we can pray and really try to be ready. But it's kind of like the psalmist said, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. At the end of the day, for something like this, we are extremely desperate for God. And I really felt like this weekend, man, the anointing of God was just in our church and on our church in an unusual way as we met together, as we worshiped together. um, It was just one of those services that if you missed it, man, I hate you missed it because it was such an exciting time of being in the presence of God with the people of God and studying the truth of God, but even studying about the truth of God. Um, and so I was just super excited about, about coming out of the series or coming out of this opening weekend. But, but there were a couple of things that really I, I took away from the weekend. And one was I really hope that there was a revival in our hearts uh, around the subject of a priority of God's word or the value of God's word. That, that leaving this weekend, even those of us like myself that went into this weekend believing the Bible – I even left this weekend with a greater sense that, man, I need to value the Bible. I need to place an incredible priority on the Bible in my personal life. Not, yeah, when I come to church, I need to be sure I'm at a church that's preaching the Bible. I need to be be in a small group that's teaching the Bible. But, man, in my personal life, there was a revival of the value of God's Word. And and I began to understand some of what the psalmists would say in the Old Testament when they would say things like, Man, the Word of God is more valuable or more precious to me than gold. It's sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb. And you just hear this sense of value and priority that they have around the Bible. And I really felt like this weekend, for a church that believed the Bible, that the water level rose uh, around what we believe as the value and the priority of Scripture. And then the second thing that I was real excited about was, you know, when we started into this thing, we let our church really tell us what topics do you want us to hear us address? And the whole subject of the authority of the Bible is one that kind of caught me off guard. I, I expected them to pick more of the, you know, more social issues, moral issues. But, man, what a sovereign God to let us begin this series on the subject of the authority of the Bible because it established the foundation for everything else we're going to say as we deal with subjects like homosexuality or debt and bankruptcy, or the issue of Mormonism, we have an authority. It is the Bible. We don't have to say, what does Travis or Mike or Vance or Hope think about it? Man, what does the Bible say? And having established that as the foundation, I'm real excited about where we're headed with the series. Sure, and it's so awesome, especially for those of us who are at all
0: three services. Just to say the different ways that the Spirit just lands on people yeah. and, and really stirs in their heart and the conviction during the invitation. I think this week we had more sermon requests than we've ever had before. <laughs> we had people asking for the message, asking for the PowerPoint. And as a result of that, just so everyone knows, we've posted everything Online, uh, A pdf version and a powerpoint version If you just go to hopebaptistchurch.com uh, You can get all of the powerpoint and the message from the weekend Another question Vance I know there are tons of scriptures you could have chosen To kind of be a base text for you this weekend And you chose a text out of, out of Timothy One of the verses I love and that I, I, I've memorized and, and quote a lot Is in um, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says For the word of God Is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, Mm. cutting deep into the innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are. Mm. And that is so awesome that God has entrusted us and given us a word that is living and active and powerful. Were there any other uh, passages of scripture you? looked at to possibly
1: um, talk through this weekend? (laughs) That was a huge challenge. And Travis, you know well, being a part of our teaching team that, you know, you and Mike and I, we get together and we talk through these issues. And I mean, the Bible is 66 books, uh, all filled with truth about God and who he is and how he's made himself known to us. And to try to narrow that down to one text, one passage of scripture was an incredibly daunting challenge. Um, and there are so many places. I mean, Psalm 19 is a great text of Scripture. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, is a psalm that is all about the Word of God. The book of First Peter records some incredible verses about the Bible. So that was the hard thing for me was limiting um, what needed to be said into one talk. And even this weekend, we did that in 50 minutes. I think the, the, the record longest sermon ever preached at Hope. Uh, but there was another. there's another passage of Scripture that I didn't really get to deal with this weekend that, that really deals with that subject of relevance and why the Bible is so relevant and how it's relevant in our lives today. And it's that Scripture from Isaiah 55, uh, verses 10 and 11, where the Bible says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, he says, So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah is just writing about the confidence that we can have in the Word of God. As we teach the Word of God, as we read the Word of God, as we study the Word of God, God's Word always does what it's sent to do. Now, sometimes it's like he says, rain, which means it's immediate. Sometimes we study the Bible, and, man, God just floods our soul. Sometimes we teach the Bible. We see the immediate fruit of that. But then Isaiah says sometimes it's like a snowbank. You know, snow doesn't immediately water the earth. There's a season of snow, and then when that snow melts, then it waters the earth. Sometimes, man, the Scripture builds up in our lives. God plants His Word in our lives through teaching, preaching, studying, small groups, and then it'll be a season where He'll just decide to melt that away and 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 as we give God's word value and priority in our lives and build that snowbank into our lives we're preparing ourselves for those seasons for God to just saturate our heart with his word Um, right when we need it, right on time. And so you're right. There's so many things we could say and teach about God's Word. I mean, we could spend 52 weeks teaching and preaching on the subject of the Bible.
0: Sure, and I think what you just said leads to one of the reasons you said the Bible was useful, which is the Bible is God's primary tool
1: in producing Christ in me. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, we have this conversational relationship with God. And we're we able we're able to communicate. I mean, the way you develop a relationship, you spend time with somebody, and God's designed for us to spend time with Him. And one of the ways that we do that is by spending time in His Word. And as we spend time in God's Word. God God does all of those things that we talked about this weekend. He teaches us the truth, he reveals to us error. He he sets our lives in tune, but he he does that work of transformation like, you know, we just studied in Philippians, that deep work on the inside where Christ is produced in me and spills out of my life happens as I spend time with God in his word. Uh so it's a huge part of the transformation process. Sure. That's that's cool, man. That's awesome. You know, as
0: we uh Set out to do this study, we made up an email address, sizzle at com, and received numerous questions from our church and our community uh, concerning these topics. And one of the questions that was asked pretty frequently was how do we know the accuracy of the translations? You know, I think there's right. a, there's a lot of people asking questions thinking maybe uh, you know we have this translation which was translated from another translation right. from another translation. How would you how would you speak to that question to bring some clarity there?
1: Well, there's really a huge uh, misunderstanding about the translations of the Bible. Um many people think that you know the Bible was translated and then translated again and then translated again and what we ultimately have is you know, version 2 or 3 or 400 of this translation after translation after translation. Um, and some people imagine it like I watched a message by a man named Vody Bauckham on the subject of the truth of the Bible. And you can, you know, Google Vody Bauckham's name on YouTube and you'll find – that message, if you want some more insight, and it's a great message. But he uses an illustration in that message that really captured the essence. Because a lot of people believe the translations of the Bible are kind of like the, the game that we've all played at the Christmas party where one person tells a story to the next person, and then they tell it to the next person, and then they tell it to the next person. By the time you get to person 10 or 15, the story that they're telling is totally different than the story the first person told. And a lot of people think that's what's happened with the Bible. One person wrote it down, then another person translated that one, then another person translated that one. And what we have today is person 10 or 15 in the game telling something that's totally different than what was originally said. But the translations of the Bible are always translations from the original manuscripts. And so when when we talk about translations of the Bible, it's not person 10 or 15 in the version that we're getting, but person 2 would go to person 1 and get the original version of the story to tell. Person 3 wouldn't get it from person 2. They'd go to person 1 and get the original. Person 4 goes to person 1. Person 5 goes to person 1. So if you play the game that way, all 15 people got the exact same version of the story. And what we do in translations of the Bible, we have over 24,000 portions and manuscripts of the New Testament. And when the Bible is translated, all of the translations that we have today are not translations of translations. They are translations that were done from the original manuscripts. Now, that's different than a paraphrase. If somebody paraphrases a Bible, then they've taken a translation and they've paraphrased it into their own words, like the Living Bible or the Message. Those are paraphrases that aren't translations. They're paraphrases. But a true translation goes back to the original documents and translates those documents into English, Spanish, Chinese, French, German, whatever language the the, the writer's trying to, to put it into.
0: Sure, and I think that's powerful to understand that the authority we look to as truth um, is backed up historically. Absolutely. It's not just a thing that by blind faith, Absolutely. we go into it, like you said, this weekend. Christians do not have to check their brain at the door.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, to believe that that somehow what we have today is not accurate because of translation after translation after translation really is, 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 is rooted in one of two things. It, it's either malicious intent... Somebody trying to just malign the Bible because uh, the history of the the documents that we have so passed the test of historical criticism that you either must be maliciously intent and trying to cover that up or you just got to be ignorant to the fact that the historical accuracy of the 24,000 plus manuscripts that we have so outweighs anything else from history To say that we don't have accurate translations of the Bible means you have to discount every other book from history. Uh, There's no book that could pass the test if you don't accept the Bible. Sure. Another question
0: uh, that we received was asking about other books that were written that we don't find in the Scriptures. So could you talk for a minute how and when um, was the books that are in the Bible, when was that solidified? What was that process? What did that look like?
1: sure. Uh, and there is a lot of a, a lot of discussion a lot of question about that um and uh, it's typically referred to as the canonization of scripture and that's a process where they determined which books would be accepted because there were other things that were written other i mean Paul didn't just write the the letters that we have in the new testament Paul wrote other letters how how did we determine which you know ones were inspired and and the early church had had accepted uh different books of the Bible. They, they had gone through a process of accepting those things. And and there were really three governing principles in the early church that within the first hundred years after the scripture was written, that books began to be accepted. And there were three governing principles. Here they were. Number one was apostolic authorship. They wanted to know that if a book was going to be included in the New Testament, it had to be written by an apostle or the close associate of an apostle. Um, for example, Paul was an apostle. Much of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. Luke Luke was not an apostle, but Luke wrote a gospel. Luke wrote the book of Acts. But Luke was a close associate of the Apostle Paul. He traveled with the Apostle Paul. When we're reading Luke's writings, we're reading um, the perspective of the Apostle Paul. Mark, who wrote a gospel, was not one of the apostles, but Mark was the understudy of Peter what we're reading when we read mark's gospel we're reading peter's preaching of the Gospel, um, so that was one key thing if it wasn't written by an apostle and and most of the other books that are out there that people claim books like uh, the Gospel of Thomas uh, or the Gospel of Peter um, those are books that have failed the historical test to be verified as having apostolic authorship. They were written much later they were written by men that were not apostles. And they were assigned apostolic authorship uh, as a fake to try to pass the test because they knew if it was going to pass the test, it had to be apostolic authorship. Um, And and historically, those documents have all been proven to not be written by apostles. So apostolic authorship was a big deal. Second was doctrinal consistency. Uh, in the books that were widespread and that began to be read in the early church they made sure that there was doctrinal consistency from beginning to end in those books, that there, were, that, that there, was, uh, that there weren't contradictory things. If there was something contradictory, they, they saw that as being erroneous, that it was not a part of the canon of Scripture. And the third um, was the issue of widespread acceptance. Uh, within about 80 years of the last book of the New Testament being written, 22 of the 27 books in the New Testament within about 80 years already 22 of the 27 books had apostolic authorship widespread acceptance and doctrinal consistency they already passed all three tests within within 80 years so this thing of how it wasn't until 3 or 400 years and it was constantine that that really affirmed what was going to be in the bible is just simply not Historically accurate within eighty to a hundred years of the writings of the New Testament, twenty-two of the twenty-seven books were in what were called the accepted category. There were within a hundred years there were another five books that were up for debate. They were still talking about some of these books, like the Book of James, Second 2 Peter, Second 2 Third John. Not some of the the Gospels, but some of these uh, uh, the, the the minor letters towards the end of the New Testament. Then the others. There was already a category within 80 to 100 years. There was already a category of books that were called the rejected books. So within 80 to 100 years of the New Testament being written down, 22 of the 27 books were already affirmed. There was already a list of books that were erroneous and not accepted. And the others were not in a not accepted category. They were just still discussing those. And what the councils did, two and 300 years later, was simply affirm. The councils didn't have these debates. The councils simply affirmed what the early church had already done inside of the first century of the New Testament being written. Um, so a historical study of some of those things you know, would, would be a great benefit to a lot of people. Sure, and it's cool just to see how this scripture was taken
0: so seriously and that there were – writes a passage before right. a, uh, it could be affirmed to be Scripture. Kind of coming out of that, they, they affirm you know which books are to be categorized in the Bible. And now today, we go to a, a Christian bookstore and we see numerous versions of translations. Right. Talk a little bit about how do you determine what you read, what we sure. teach from, what would you suggest for people if somebody comes out of the weekend and says, you know what, I need to get a Bible and I need to start to study it. Right. What would you encourage them as, as they make that happen?
1: Most of the translations that you see in a Christian bookstore today, be it a family Christian bookstore, LifeWay bookstore, whatever it may be, or if you're at Walmart and you see translations of the Bible where they're selling them, most of the translations that you see today fall under one of two categories of translation theory. There is what is called the dynamic equivalent translation theory, and there is what is called the literal translation theory. Um both of them are translations from original documents, original manuscripts, those thousands and thousands of manuscript copies that we have, but they do vary slightly. Dynamic equivalent translation is is a translation theory without trying to be too technical and, and, and also not trying to sound like I, I understand it completely. But, but dynamic equivalent translation theory is more a phrase-for-phrase phrase translation where they will... They they will translate concepts and phrases and and thoughts and ideas, whereas a literal translation theory is going to literally translate word for word. I'll give you an example of the difference. Uh, one one slight difference. Uh, the, the verse Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Uh, the word man there. Now, we know when the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, it's not just referring to the male species of humanity. The word man is a word that applies to all people. It's the peoples. So you could literally say, therefore, if any person is in Christ. The dynamic equivalent translation would translate, therefore, if any person. The literal would say, therefore, if any man, because the literal word is the Greek word anthropos, which is the word man. But we understand it to mean person. Um, and that's okay at some points. The problem is with dynamic equivalent, sometimes it, it can lend itself to a little bit of interpretation and not just translation. But what we have today uh, under the what would be the dynamic equivalent translation would be things like the uh, NIV, the New Living Translation. Um, then under the literal, we would have things like the New American Standard, the ESV, the the King James, the New King James. Um, Any of those translations are good, solid translations that we can have absolute confidence in. Personally, I prefer more the wooden, literal translation. I teach from the New American Standard translation because it is arguably one of the most literal translations. Now, the downside to that is it's not as readable as like an NIV or a New Living Translation that's going to be more readable in our language. Um, It's going to to be more literary versus being more wooden. Um, But I prefer the wooden literal translation uh, of of the New American Standard is what I I read and teach from. But today, if you go into a, a Christian bookstore and you're looking at the NIV, the ESV, the RSV, the New American Standard, the New King James... Uh, the New Living Translation. Any of those are good, solid, biblical translations that we can have absolute confidence in. Um, the other thing that we have today is we have paraphrases, and it's important to know that a paraphrase is not a translation. A paraphrase is what it says; it's paraphrasing. It's 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 taking somebody else's translation and putting it in your own words. I like paraphrases. I, I don't. I like to read the Message. I like to read the Living Bible, but I have to know that when I'm reading it. I'm really basically reading more of a commentary than I am the Bible because it's somebody else taking the Bible and putting it in their own words. Hmm. That's awesome.
0: Well, just as we finish up, man, one more question. Um, and this one's not on the list, so I'm going to ask you anyway. All right. Uh, you know, we come out of the weekend and have a great weekend. A lot of people, um, you know, God's spoken to their heart. They're living life now, pre- post-service, post this message. Um, how would you encourage them? as they live life every day with their Bible at their house, just out in the world, how would you encourage our church today?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I would definitely encourage our church to, to kind of do what we started with, and that is, man, put value in God's Word. Um, we need to value the Word. We need to be a people of the book. God's given us this book, and especially after what we understood from this weekend's message, the great links that, that God has gone to to establish both the historicity, the accuracy, the integrity of the Word of God. Um, We believe the Bible to be inspired. It's inerrant. It is God's truth. But we also believe the Bible to be sufficient. In evangelical Christianity today, 30, 40 years ago, there was a big debate over the inerrancy of Scripture. Is it really the Bible? Is it really true? For a large part of Christianity, that question's been answered. Most evangelical conservative Christians today accept the inerrancy and the inspiration of Scripture. What's happening today is that we've lost sight of the sufficiency of Scripture, that the Bible is enough, that it is sufficient to speak to every issue and every situation in my life. And so what we see today is churches moving away from teaching the Bible. They teach more topics. They teach more philosophy. They teach more opinion. And I would say coming out of this weekend— I, and I know people at Hope are listening to this, but we have a lot of people that listen to these things around the world. Number one, make sure you give the Bible priority in your life personally. Man, you need to have daily time where you spend time with God by reading His Word. Number two, you need to be sure that you are connecting in a fellowship, in a church where the Bible is given priority corporately, where those teaching and preaching are teaching and preaching from the authority of the Bible and not from the opinions of people or man or surveys or anything else. And number three, I, I think that it's also important that I'm connecting in small groups, that I'm in a small group with uh, uh, some brothers and sisters in Christ where we can go deep together in the truth of Scripture, where we can interact around God's Word and together see that Scripture play out in our lives. We need that accountability and that, that influence in our lives of other Christians. So, so that's kind of what I would say to, to people coming out of the weekend.
0: Sure. Well, man, I think it was a great week one as we launched into this sizzle series. And like you said this week in our defining statement, why this series? Because as a Jesus follower, I must know what I believe, why I believe it, and be ready To humbly communicate it with others Mm -hmm. So Vance thanks for your time this morning And thank you guys for tuning in Don't forget this weekend our topic is Homosexuality Is it love? If possible we'd love for you To be a part of our church services this weekend at Hope if not we'll see you next Thursday for our next version of Going Deeper Thanks a lot